Thank you. Thank you. No, seriously, it's really cool to be a part. It was only, I've only been here like three months, but it's cool to see how the offering's used here. It's a lot different than what I was used to, and it's really awesome. I like what you guys do a lot. Amen. And now oh. we're going to learn about some more twisted scriptures. Amen. I love it. <laughs> it's true, though. With our offering, we'll, we'll talk to other pastors about what we're doing, and they're like, you do that? Like, we talked about how, you know, sometimes we'll do these special offerings, like, you got, you know, we're trying to get Emily to Niger, and it's 3500 you know, to get there. And I said, well, let's see what we can do to help you. We talked about it for like five minutes, and you guys gave over $1,000 on that Sunday. Over $1,000! <laughs> uh, I told the pastor about that, and she says, yeah. She goes, my church won't let me do that. My council won't let me do that because they're afraid that if we did that, then we wouldn't meet budget. You know, we want to meet the uh, operating budget. And I get that, you know, because there is a budget. There is an operating budget that you have to meet. But it's just crazy how as we have uh, gone a little different route, um, that God has really blessed us in that. And I remember that first year that I was senior pastor, we gave over $50,000 to uh, things, different churches, different uh, areas, different missionaries, different, I mean, just... That, back then, we were a church of 70 people, 60, 70 people. And, um, I mean, it just makes you cry when you think about how beautiful that is. And, and you know, you don't want to get too religious and, and get all churchy. And, but the reality is, he truly does bless the giver. I mean, there's something to be said about when you go in there and you give to the Lord that he, uh, he takes care of it all. And, um, and that's all thanks to Ray Wright. He was the first one on my council. I came in very pessimistic about money. And he was like, oh, just give. The Lord will provide. I was like, oh, okay. And we gave. And, and it was amazing how the Lord uh, truly has blessed us in that. Speaking of Ray Wright, uh, Ghana is exciting. Uh, they went back to work this last week on the caretaker's house in orf- uh, for the orphanage. Uh, I read uh, just this week from World Vision that there's 24 million people in Ghana, but there are 1.1 million orphans in Ghana. It's heavy. It, 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 it gets to your heart. But um, this caretaker's house, when I went there in February, this is amazing, when I went out there to February to this caretaker, uh, to this property, it's out in Ojobi, um, kind of out in the middle of nowhere. It's just gotten electricity, huge pineapple farm on one side, and uh, this uh, Muslim man owns the field to the other side of us, and then there's our property with nothing on it except for that really cool big anthill. Remember that picture I took of the anthill that went up to like here, like you see at the zoo, but the one at the zoo's fake, but this was real. Um... <laughs> And, and so we got there, and, and, and so here's the progression. So we have the land. So this is the, the land that was here. But then the next phase was we started putting down the foundation. Again, just hold it there. Again, this, in February there was nothing, and, and now we're in September. So then foundation, and then the next one. Now they started putting up some walls. And then this, I just got this yesterday. So this is where we're at now um, for the caretakers house. Pretty exciting. And then here's a little video of Reverend Maxwell talking, uh, talking about it. You'll have to turn it way up because he's quiet. Yeah, this is the stage of the building now. This is the bathroom, the turret, and then attached is the kitchen then we have one office 
and this is where the living room where the materials will be laid down. One more office, two offices, uh, two rooms and a hall. And it has been built to the lentil. So now uh, we are waiting for iron rods to be put on it and then a concrete block, a beam will come on top and then the roof will uh, do the roofing stages. So so after that he starts talking into a language I do not know. So, <laughs> But uh, uh, yeah, so the next update we're going to get, there's going to be a roof on that baby. So can we just celebrate the Lord? <laughs> Hallelujah. And you know what's amazing about that? That is not us, like as a church organization. We didn't, that's not money that's coming from us. That's money that's coming from uh, you. Again, that, that's from the little box that we put out there for people to give. Or some of you say, I'd like to give towards the orphanage. Or I'd like to give towards the medical clinic. Um, thank you for, for doing that. Again, just above and beyond, I'm completely amazed by every one of you. Hallelujah. And Jacob talking, like, I don't know about you, but just prophetically, as you've just seen this boy grow in our midst, and I'm like, wow, this guy is going to be preaching to thousands. How cool is that? So if you see him, just encourage him. Yeah, he's, he's something else. Well, we're in this series called Twisted. It's kind of been fun. I've gotten you guys uncomfortable, squirming a little bit, talking about these really precious verses that you love, and then uh, kind of uh, blowing them up. So that's been fun. Um, but they're just... <laughs> You know, the reality, come on, let's be honest. We all do this. I do this. Pastor Dan does this. We, we take verses, we twist them, and we kind of manipulate them away from their original meaning. And, and, you know, it's not like we're going to hell because of that. It's not like we're, you know, people that are bad people. We're good people. But we just want to get to the deeper understanding, deeper meaning of these texts. And today we're, we're going to go into probably one of the most quoted verses in the Bible. We're talking about Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And I love this verse. This verse has had a great impact on my life. You would say that this is my life verse. Anybody else have a life verse, right? Uh, This is my life verse. My mom, I remember growing up as a kid, she would speak this over me again and again. And, And so it's definitely one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Many of you would agree. In fact, maybe you have the coffee mug. Let's see if any of you have the coffee mug. Anyone have the coffee mug? Or maybe, do you have the pillow? <laughs> or the magnet? Anyone have the magnet on the uh, fridge? Or how about this one? You know you got it. You know you have the Jeremiah 29:11 sweater. Or le- really where you've seen it, and we've all seen it, is at the graduation party, right? And we've all received that graduation card, Jeremiah 29 11. And, and, and it's beautiful and it's powerful and it's amazing. It's comforting. It's soothing. It's hope-filled. It's a, a wonderful verse. And because of how much we all love it, I'm going to try as much as possible to be very gentle with it. But um, I want to be faithful to you as your pastor and your shepherd, show you the ways that it's been twisted from its original meaning. Because really, I believe as I was studying this week, I think there's a little bit more to this verse than we understand, and, and hopefully by bringing some context to it, I, I'm, I'm actually pretty excited about this message today, because by the end of today, I hope that this verse, will will get even more out of it than we already 
are. So we're going to go a little deeper into the verse. The last two weeks we've talked about three things, three ways that you go deeper into these verses to understand what's going on. The first thing you do is you want to understand the context, right? What is the context? Who wrote it? Uh, what goes on in the verse? But also what goes on after the verse? What goes on before the verse? Um, those types of ideas. What, who's the audience? Uh, what's the time period? The context. Second thing you want to do is interpret Scripture with Scripture. The best commentary on the Bible I heard the other day is, guess what? The Bible. When you look at a verse, you want to see what else does the Bible have to say about that theme? What else does this Word of God have to say about the topic? And then number three, I mean, all of that is great, but it's all kind of worthless unless you apply it. Number three is apply it. It's more than a book to be studied. It is a letter to be lived. God's living word that transforms our lives. So we want to apply it and live it. So let's do this with Jeremiah 29, 11. We're going to look at the context and see maybe we can get a better understanding. Jeremiah 29, we're talking about verse 11. Go back all the way back. If you have your Bibles, by the way, open up to Jeremiah 29. But... Take it all the way back to verse 1. So let's open up to Jeremiah 29, verse 1. Do we have that verse by chance? All right. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem. So this verse is telling us that who wrote this letter? And where did he write it from? Jerusalem. Jeremiah wrote it from Jerusalem. Let's keep reading. To the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So what's going on? Jeremiah, he's writing this letter to exiles, Jewish exiles, people who had been taken from their homeland in Jerusalem. Now they're under captivity underneath King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. Did you know that about this verse? Maybe you didn't know that about this verse, but now you know that about this verse. It was written to people in exile. Why were they in exile? Well, earlier you read that they were in rebellion. They had rebelled against God. They had disobeyed God. It says that they had turned to false gods. They had worshipped other idols. And now for their sinfulness, for the next 70 years, they're going to be under the control of the Babylonians. They are in exile. So when you look at Jeremiah 29, 11, you have to remember this is a specific promise that is given to these Jewish exiles. It's this promise that God is making to his people, people that have been taken, taken from Jerusalem, but who are now in Babylon. Now here's the first problem. Here's the first problem. Because when I saw, you know, I have plans to prosper you, I always thought the you was me. Right? You know why? Because I've always wanted to be the main character in the Bible, right? I always wanted it to be all about me. And we're all guilty of that. Again, that, you know, just because you've done that before doesn't mean you're going to hell. doesn't mean you're a heretic. It just means maybe you're reading the word as though you were the main character in the Bible where it's all about me. But we have to be careful. Because when we start believing Jeremiah 29, 11 as a specific promise for me, that God is going to prosper me, that God is going to bless me, that God is going to make sure that no harm will ever, ever come to me whenever one of those things doesn't happen. I see this all the time. When we pray but we don't seem to be uh, prospering or when we experience harm, when I'm serving God with everything I've got and yet my child is still sick, 
whenever we believe that it's just for me and then it doesn't happen, actually something bad happens, it leads us to the conclusion that either God doesn't exist, right? That that verse is just a fake without any power in it. Or I've heard people tell me this verse isn't coming true, which means God must be mad at me or I've done something wrong. I've done something wrong. That's why I'm not prospering. That's why harm is being done to me. It's dangerous, but that's the conclusion that people come up with. And that's the danger when you read the Bible as being all about me. But church, God does not exist to serve us. Church, we exist to serve and glorify God. He has already served us through the gift of His powerful and glorious Son, Jesus Christ. But now we exist to bring Him glory. And we have to be very careful not to read ourselves into a promise that was really not made for us. Now, before you start throwing vegetables at me, I get it. I, I get it. Remember, I love this verse. I still love this verse. It's still my, you know, my, my life verse. You give me a magnet, I'm pl- popping it on the fridge. Like, let's just relax on that part. But I want to dive deeper. And, and I, I just believe that you actually might find that there's more power and more truth in this verse than you ever currently realize. But before that, I, I, truly, I think you got to start looking at this context. So we looked at Jeremiah 29.1, but what's the chapter that comes before 29? 28. At 28, absolutely. We went to the University of Wyoming together. That is a University of Wyoming education on display. Go Pokes. So it's Jeremiah 28. I love Jeremiah 28. Have you read Jeremiah 28? This is great. There's this guy, a prophet. His name is Hananiah. Remember the name, Hananiah. Hananiah comes in. He says, you know what? This exile, it's only going to last for two years. You thought you were going to be in exile all this time, but God's going to break the Babylonians, and in two years, you're out of here. So if you read Jeremiah 28, there's this showdown that goes between Hananiah and Jeremiah. And, and, And Hananiah even takes off the yoke that Jeremiah was wearing, and he breaks it. But all of a sudden, Jeremiah, who's a true prophet of God, he says, wait, What you're doing, Hananiah, it sounds good, but it's just not true. See, Hananiah was a false prophet who was declaring and pronouncing and delivering false good news. False good news. That's good news that's false. (laughs) Good news that just isn't true, right? It sounds good. Uh, You kind of like listening to it, but it it's powerless. It's just not true. And, and so he's saying it's only going to last for two years. And Jeremiah the prophet saying, no, you're wrong. You're lying. And because of this, you're going to die. That's what he tells them. It gets pretty serious. And then the Bible says this. In the seventh month of that year, guess what happens? Hananiah, this false prophet, he dies. He dies. By the way, that's why parents all over the world name their kids Jeremiah, but nobody in their right mind is naming their kid Hananiah. He's a false prophet declaring false good news. Everybody say false good news. news. This is important because today, I mean, in 2016, is it not just so easy to pursue false good news, right? Because it feels good and it sounds good. It's good news. The only problem, it's false. And I was thinking about this false good news. Usually the reason I like it so much is because it benefits me. And I like that, again, because I want everything, the entire world, to be all about 
me. It's kind of innate in a lot of us. But Paul warns Timothy about this. Listen to what Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.3. He says, the time is going to come, and I think this time might have already come. He says, the time is going to come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they're going to gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. I just want to read that again. If that isn't where we are living right now, he says a time is going to come when people will not put up with sound doctrine, the word of God. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And so we can manipulate scripture, we can manipulate faith, try to manipulate God, try to force it into this false good news where the text is always about me, God is always here to serve me, everything's going to be about me, and so what do we do? We start searching through social media, we go on YouTube, you, we've all done this, come on, we go to the TV evangelist, we're just searching, trying to find some prophet out there that will teach me and preach to me some false good news. Right And just searching, you're going to find this, right? Like, this is the year of abundance. This is the year of breakthrough. This is the year of victory. This is the year of, you know, the, the seed will come to harvest, right? You just try to, oh, yeah, yeah, finally, I found the guy that's going to tell me that this is the year. And by the way, I'm your friend. I love you. If this is your year of breakthrough, hallelujah. If this is your year where the seed comes to harvest, like, I want that for you. That is great. Sounds good to me. The problem is, and the danger, and I hope you receive this this morning, is I've seen too many people fall into this trap that when all of your faith is in prosperity, is in blessing, is in no harm, no sickness, no trials, just all blessing, all prosperity, then one day when it doesn't happen, we start thinking, I've seen people do this, well, I guess God isn't real, or if he is real, he sure isn't very good. See, I think a lot of American Christianity has reduced faith, has reduced believing in God. We've reduced it to just a means to an end. God exists to make my life easier. God exists to make me comfortable. God exists to make me happy. God exists to make me prosperous. And if we're not careful, we become the main object of God's word when the reality, God is the main object of God's word. God is the main object, by the way, of everything. God made it all. He's the answer to it all. God is the object of it all. God is the prize. Stop trying to find a prize somewhere else other than Jesus. Jesus is the prize. If we're not careful, though, we end up living and searching for, longing for, hungering for false good news. And we all do this. Again, we all do this. I was thinking about the scriptures we've covered over the past few weeks, and the, a good way, and I just, I, it just hit me, a good way to know if you've twisted them or not is see if you can preach them the way you're preaching them here anywhere in the world. So, Lifespring Church, if we're going to preach and if we're going to teach Jeremiah 29 11, we want to make sure that we teach it, we want to make sure that we preach it in a way that it could be preached anywhere. So it needs to be preached just as well in Ghana as it is here. So if the Christian life and having faith is all about you getting a new house and a new car, better life, never having any harm, never being sick, never having your child get sick, well, try preaching that one to the Christian mom in Syria who's just lost her child, who's now living in a refugee tent. Oh, God will never let anything bad happen to you. 
Tell that to the Christian parent in Africa who just lost a child to malaria, a sickness that can easily be prevented by an inexpensive mosquito net that they don't have access to. Because I think as a church, we want to make sure that we believe in and we are preaching a gospel and preaching a message that can be preached anywhere. According to World Vision, 30% of Ghanaians live on less than $1 a day. 30%, so less than $365 a year. 54%, so over half of the country live off of less than $2 a day. (laughs) If I can't preach the same message in a country where the average wage is $1 to $2 a day, as I do here, then I'm not sure it's a good message to be preached. If the message can't be preached with integrity in all environments, I'm not sure it's a message that needs to be preached. We want to preach and teach the word in a way that it applies to everybody. If we're simply pursuing some American Christian God who gives us joy without pain, who gives us blessing without trial, who gives us prosperity without any bumps in the road, we're actually pursuing false good news. And it's extremely dangerous. And again, that's why so many people walk away from the faith. Well, God didn't do what I wanted him to do. I tithed and I didn't get rich and I went to church but my kids still got sick and maybe this is all a little too depressing for you like wow great message pastor Dan came to church to be encouraged and this is what I got well just wait church it gets better I got two more for you here you go put this on your mug second Timothy three twelve says that if you're a Christian in fact everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ they will be what say it with me they will be persecuted Hallelujah. Oh, joy. There's your magnet. Put it on your fridge. I'm going to be persecuted. <laughs> Philippians 1.29, For it's been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in Him, but also, say it with me, to suffer for Him. Now that's a sweatshirt to wear to your life group. See, here's the deal. Here's what we have to understand. The good news, not the false good news, but the real good news, The real good news is not that God saves us from our trials. It's that God saves us from our sins. That's the good news. That's the really, really good news. See, Scripture tells us we all fall horribly short. Horribly short. We all fall short. There's God's standards, and His standard is perfection. His standard is holiness. His standard is righteousness, and yet we all fall short. But we serve a God who is so very good. He did for me, He did for you that none of us could have done for ourselves. He became one of us. He became in the person of Jesus. He, he came to this earth, and He began to love the most unlovable. He began to love the outcast. He began to love people even like me and on that cross he became sin for me so that i could be brought from death to life that's the good news church that is the best news and it represents a good good god it is the good news not that god exists to save us from our trials but that god saved us from our sins we serve a good god who is so much better than saving us from our trials he is a god that actually can even take our trials use our trials and conform us into the image of christ have you noticed that we serve a god who is not just in for our temporary happiness but he is a god who is shaping us for his eternal everlasting glory therefore when god does not do exactly what we don't what what we want him to do we don't panic we don't freak out we don't bail we don't run away from god no we embrace him for his character for his nature that he is good that he is love and he has saved us and he is giving us eternal everlasting life that's the good news and yet sometimes when we feel this in our culture 
in our culture, instead of holding on to this good news, we just chase after the false good news because it's a little bit more pleasing to the ears and it seems to benefit me and the false news doesn't seem quite as hard and you've noticed the false good news doesn't use any words like perseverance or steadfastness or endurance, right? The false good news, it sounds a lot easier than that. And those exiles, by the way, that's exactly what they wanted. They wanted it easy, just like we do. I I want easy. I take two years, right? The 70? No, I'll take two years. Let's get out of here. We're in bondage. And by the way, do you think I like being in bondage? I don't like being in bondage. Where's Hananiah? Hananiah, two years, please. Come on over here. Preach the two-year sermon. I like that sermon. But before verse 11, again, let's read this verse in context. Before 11... Uh, Jason, I'll say it for you. It, it comes verse 10. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, verse 10. And verse 10 is pretty powerful, church. It says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, 70 years will be completed in Babylon, I will come back to you. I will fulfill my good promise and bring you back to this place. 70 years. And in Jeremiah 29, one, remember it tells us who is he talking to? You remember what he said? He's talking to the elders. He's speaking to the elders. So he's not speaking to a bunch of two and three-year-olds and saying, in 70 years I'm going to come back. No, he's talking to the elders. We don't know, have to say how old that means, but it's, it's older. They're elders. Can you imagine going to an older person and saying, take heart, in 70 years I'm going to come back and get you. <laughs> I'll be here. I have plans for you. Plans for you to bless you, plans to prosper you, plans not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Right away, they would be coming to the realization, if, if they see this man as a true man of God who's prophesying, they would see this realization. We're not going to see this happen in our natural eyes. We're not going to see this happen in the natural. See, God knew that they would all see it in the supernatural. Because, do you know what? He actually did have plans to bless them. He had plans to prosper them. He had plans to give them a hope and a future. But none of these elders were going to see it on this side of eternity. But what did they do? We just said, uh, we trust in you, God. And we said that line over and over and over and over. It's much easier to sing than actually believe. But these elders, they trusted, trusted in the nature of God and in the character of God. Paul describes who he is in 1 Corinthians 2.9. He says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. They trusted in a good God, in the character and nature of God. Even though they wouldn't see their deliverance right away like Hananiah had told them. And that's hard. That's difficult. It really rubs against the spirit and the attitude that we have in America. It often rubs against the spirit and the attitude I have in my own heart. The attitude that says, I want it now. I want it now. I want to be prosperous and I want a car with seat warmers. That's what I want, God. Seat warmers. It's been cold. It's raining. And I want seat warmers. And Jeremiah 29, 11 says, plans to prosper me and not to harm me and give me a hope in the future. And seat warmers. In the name of Jesus. <laughs> but that's not what that verse is about. 
that verse, it's bigger than our instant gratification. Right? Let's just be honest. We are all living in an instant gratification world, but this verse is bigger and better than just instant gratification. It's bigger and better than just living a pain-free life. Because here's the deal. Does God have a plan for us? Does God have a purpose for us? Yes, absolutely he does. Ephesians 1.11, God works everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. God works in all things to bring about good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Yes, God has a purpose. God has a plan. Does God have plans to prosper and bless his people? Yes, you're right. You and I, were on the same page. God is a good God. He is a God who loves to give good gifts to his children. Does God prosper his people? All the time. Did you know that God gives wealth? He actually does. Wealth is not a bad thing. With wealth, you can do a lot of good things. I've seen that in this church. With wealth, you can give glory to God, and God gives people wealth. God prospers a lot of people, but come on, let's be a little bit smarter than that. Is prosperity just in financial blessing? No, are you kidding me? How prosperous we can be in relationships. How prosperous you can be in your health. It can, uh, prosperity, it can mean so many different things. Does God give us hope? Oh, please, Lord, would you give us hope. In a world that is hopeless, God gives us hope. When you get that news of cancer, can you still have hope? All day long, you can have hope. You can have hope that God gives us brilliant doctors. You can have hope that the name of Jesus is bigger and stronger than the name of cancer. We have hope in the name of Jesus. We have hope in a God who says all things are possible in me. You still have hope, and do you have a future? Oh, hallelujah, what a future that Jesus has given us. And by the way, sometimes, have you ever been there when a life just falls apart, right? Everything you had built up, it just seems to crumble, and, you, and, and, and you've said this, I've said this, I could never overcome this, right? I'm never going to get through this. And maybe you've done something, and you're just ashamed of it, and, you, and you're thinking, you know, God could never use me again. After what I did, how could God ever use me again? But I want you to know you have a future. We serve a God who works in all things to bring about good. He will use it for your future. He will take where you've messed up, and he will do something amazing in you. He will conform you to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. You're not finished yet. If you're not dead, you're not done. You have a future. Amen. See, there's truth in that verse. Embrace the verse. But don't just read that one verse. Again, this is the whole idea of this series. Don't just read that one verse and build a whole life theology around one verse. We got to learn it in context. Allow the whole Bible, the whole breadth of Scripture speak to us. See, don't stop at verse 11. Don't stop. You know what comes after verse 11? You put this on a coffee mug. Look at verses 12 and 13 and 14. This is a promise for every one of us in this room. God says, when you call on me, when you come to me, when you pray to me, I will listen to you. And God says this, you will seek me and you're going to find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you. God says, no matter what you're going through, I'm going to be there for you. Whenever you call on me, I'm going to hear you. When you cry out to me, I am there. No matter what you do, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I am with you always. You want to grab hold of a promise? Grab hold of that. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of the death, I will not fear because God, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You will never, ever leave me. You will never, ever leave me. The main point of this message is not that God delivers you from your trials. It's that you will never, ever, ever experience a day without the presence of God leading you, living in you, and with you. It's not that you won't experience trials, but He's going to be with you every step of the way. It's that God will never leave you, never 
forsake you. God is so much more concerned with your eternity than with your here and now. And I'm telling you, He is always and absolutely good. You have to trust. Again, if you come second service just to sing that bridge again. Jesus, I trust in you. Jesus, I trust in you. Because what he already did on the cross, you can say, I can say, you are worthy of the rest of my life. Because of your character, because of your nature, because that you are good. You are worthy of every day on this earth. Therefore, God, I choose to follow you. God, I choose to lay down my life for you. Church, every time I read Jeremiah 29, 11, my faith increases. I don't know about you. It's just an amazing verse. It's still my life verse. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Vroom, right? Amen. My life verse. But don't just stop there. Allow the whole story to speak to you. Allow the whole story to increase your faith. The next part will change your life if you take it seriously today. God is speaking to some of you right now. He says, if you seek me, listen to this. If you seek me, what? You will find me. If you seek me with all of your heart, He says, I will be found by you. So that means regardless of what you're going through, regardless of how you came in this morning, whether you were at a wedding or a funeral, regardless as you come in through these doors, you can trust that he hears you when you call. That when you call on him, he's going to hear your cry. When you draw near to him, hallelujah, he will draw near to you. And when you seek him, you will find him when you seek him with all of your heart. God is not a magic genie who just does magic tricks for you. He isn't just some guy who goes poof and makes all your dreams and wishes come true. He is much more than that. He is bigger than that. He is better than that. He has the most amazing thing you've ever seen. It's actually called removing your sins. Actually calling you from death into life. He's so much bigger. He's actually a savior where you were worthy of death. He saves you from your sins and gives you life. He wants that for you. He wants to save you from your sins. He wants to give you eternal life in him. He wants to give you right now a true hope and give you a true future because with Jesus and because of Jesus, you can dwell in the presence of almighty God forever and ever where when you seek him today, truly seek him with all of your heart, Hallelujah, the promise of Scripture, you will be found by Him, and you will find Him. Would you pray with me? May this be a room where we hunger for your presence, where we seek you, God. Whether it be through persecution, through trial, through sickness, we run to you, God, knowing that in Jesus the supernatural reality is that no one can snatch us out of, out of your hands. That no one can separate us from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus. That no one can take us from your presence. God, I pray that as we study your word with this broader understanding, diving into context, God, I pray that we would fall even more intimately in love with you, Jesus, even deeper than we currently are, that we would just worship you for who you are, for your character, for your nature, for your goodness, and for your love. As we're praying, and and just out of respect, if we could all have our heads bowed on this one, you might be going through a real challenging time right now, and I understand sometimes when you're going through a hard time and you're praying and you're asking God for a miracle and it doesn't come true, sometimes it just can rattle your faith. And So as we're praying, I just want to take a moment to pray for you. I want to pray for you. Some of you right now, maybe it's a financial issue, a financial struggle. God wants to remind you right now that God is your provider that he loves you and he's faithful. Others of you, maybe it was bad, bad medical news or maybe somebody that you love, something bad medically happened. Maybe you're battling depression right now. Some of you, maybe you got 
relational issues, you got chaos in your family, whatever it is, you're going through it right now and, and you need God's presence to be real. You need the truth of that scripture to be real. And right now you're asking for a miracle. If that's you, I want to pray for you. If you're going through a difficult time and you need God's presence and you'd love it if God would supernaturally do something on your behalf, if that's you, would you lift up your hands right now? Amen. Yes. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and put them down. I, I want to pray for you. God, I thank you for every person. I, I, as, as they're raising their hands, Lord, as if they were reaching out to you, God. I love it, Lord. It's just so appropriate as they raise their hands, Lord. They were drawing near to you, God, calling to you, God. And I just thank you, God, that you draw near to us, that you respond to every cry of the heart. And I thank you, God, that you do deliver us from trials, that, God, you are someone who hears our prayers and you actually work on our behalf and you do miracles. God, I pray for those who are struggling and those who are hurting today by the power of your Holy Spirit. Be enough right now. Do a miracle on their behalf. Work in wondrous ways, Lord, in supernatural ways. And I pray through it all you would guard their heart and guard their mind in Christ Jesus, that you would give them a supernatural peace that would go beyond any human being's uh, ability to understand. God, according to your word, you say that I can ask. We can ask for miracles. We can ask for healing. We can ask for financial provision. We can ask for forgiveness and relationship. God, we can ask you to help us to overcome temptation. God, I pray that you would break any bondage right now in the name of Jesus that would be holding back anyone in this room. God, I believe you hear that prayer, and I believe that you respond to that prayer of faith. And thank you, Jesus. But God, also just in a moment of vulnerability and honesty, God, when you don't do what we ask you to do in the moment, it can be, and it is sometimes, extremely challenging for us. So as a collective body, right now, Lord, as we're praying to you, I, we just choose. We choose. In faith, we choose right now to focus on your character. We focus on your goodness. God, we believe that you have a higher purpose, even a higher calling, that God, you might even use our trials to help us grow to become more like you. We trust you. God, we believe you can and we believe you will. But even if you don't do it, we ask, God, we still believe. We still believe. We still worship. We still seek you. We still worship you, Lord. So, God, as we leave this place this morning, show us what this life looks like. Show us what it looks like to trust in your plans. Trust in your plans that you have given us a hope, that you have given us a future. Remind us what that looks like. Remind us and give us that taste once again of what eternal life in your son Jesus Christ looks like, feels like, and tastes like. God, we want to live our lives for you. We thank you that you haven't left us, but you do have plans to prosper us, not to harm us, but to give us a hope and to give us a future. We believe that and we hold on to that and we thank you for that. In your wonderful and glorious and powerful name we pray. Amen. Amen.